Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live in the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Brian Kelly, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, we start off with today's big market sell-off and the words that made the doves cry. Despite what many considered a dovish hike, as Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell started speaking, stocks started sinking. The market getting absolutely crushed, wiping out a big rally earlier in the day with the Dow ending down about 350 points, closing at the dead lows of the year. Let's get straight to our own Steve Leisman in Washington, D.C., who was at the big Fed newser today. Hey, Steve. Hey, Melissa. I think the issue is the market wanted total capitulation from the Federal Reserve, but it got kind of partial capitulation at best. And by that, I mean the Fed market may have wanted no hikes next year. Instead, it's got two still forecast in by the consensus of the committee. Uh, The Fed said that further gradual rate hikes are needed. The market, some further gradual rate hikes are needed. The market wanted that phrase entirely removed. But here's Powell now on the change in the rate outlook. Many FOMC participants had expected that economic conditions would likely call for about three more rate increases in 2019. We have brought that down a bit and now think it is more likely that the economy will grow in a way that will call for two interest rate increases over the course of next year. We always emphasize that our policy decisions are not on a preset course and will change if incoming data materially change the outlook. So here's the story. Here's what the market probably wanted and here's what they got. They wanted one hike or none next year. It got two. At least that's the forecast. Wanted flexibility on the $600 billion balance sheet reduction. Uh, Powell kind of indicated there was not going to be very much on that. I think it probably wanted more concern about the economy, that its fears were shared by the Fed. Instead, it got a line that the Fed was monitoring developments. Now, there was one line from Fed Chair Jerome Powell that maybe the market overlooked, and it was a pretty dovish line. Listen to this one. I think from this point forward, we're going to be letting the data uh, speak to us and inform uh, the outlook and, and inform our, uh, our, our understanding of what would be appropriate policy. So there's a fairly high degree of uncertainty about both the path and the ultimate destination of, uh, of any further increases. Despite that, it is hard to get away from the conclusion that stocks and bonds wanted an unapologetically dovish Fed and Fed chairman. Instead, they heard a much more hawkish one than they wanted to hear, Melissa. You know, it's interesting, Steve, because I thought when he said that and when he answered your specific question, uh, that the markets would actually find some solace because when you asked him the question, would it, was it the markets, was it trade, was it Trump right, in the past right. month or so, he did seem to acknowledge, I felt like we almost got a capitulation from him that they were monitoring what was going on in the global markets. They were observing this volatility. I think that's right. And, and I think that's true, by the way, that if stuff doesn't happen the way the Fed expects it to happen, the Fed will do fewer rate hikes if it doesn't see that the rate hikes are warranted. So I'm really going to be fascinated by the conversation around your table today, <laughs> which, which I think is really important because, you know, what did you want the guy to say? Do you want him to be on, your, on his knees begging forgiveness 
for having thought well, about possibly raising rates next year? And I don't mean uh, to, to joke or to mock, but I guess I'm sure. joking and mocking. I, I think <laughs> the one thing, though, that he could have added to the whole data-dependent sort of thing is, is the balance sheet mm-hmm. policy. If he made that also yeah. seem like that was data dependent, yeah, it wasn't I, necessarily on an automatic course. I get that. Then I maybe get, that would be real, you know, without that. saying we're not going to raise any more. Uh, you know, just to be very skeptical on that, mm-hmm. Melissa, the balance sheet is suddenly the complaint du jour. And I will tell you, for a year and a half, I reported on the Fed's exact plans to, um, and in fact, I had trouble getting on a lot of the shows talking about the Fed's plans to reduce the balance sheet, which I thought were important. And I thought when I came on with it, which I do breathlessly, as you know, mm-hmm. um, I thought the market would react, but the market could have cared less. That, you know, you say the Fed in 2019, we knew this like a year ago, was going right. to reduce the balance sheet by 600. Now, maybe the existence of the lower amounts of liquidity created by that are problematic for the market. However, I will point out, we are still some $3 trillion in excess on the Fed's balance sheet of where it was before the financial crisis. So, like I said earlier, um, if you had three feet of water, uh, water in your basement, water and, you take out, and you take out two feet, uh-huh. you still got a foot of water in the basement. It's still plenty liquid. So, I would, I, I, Yeah, I, I would say I have a lot less water, though, in the basement. I'd be uh, happy about but, that. But you're still getting your feet wet. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, it just, it just took us a little bit longer, Steve, here, uh, you know, not being a senior you know, economics correspondent or anything to realize that QT may be actually an impact here. But <laughs> we'll let that stand. Steve, thank you. Great sure. job today. Steve Leisman in Washington. So with the December rate hike in the books and uh, two more on the table for next year, what do you do now? And to Steve's point, what did you expect the guy to say? I mean, if that wasn't good enough, I don't know what would have been. Well, good. For, I, well, I'm in, I'm a, I've become a bigger fan of Chairman Powell today, but that's that's really not the point. And kudos to Steve who said yesterday you fade whatever happens. And that tr- proved to be correct in terms of the broader market. And I'm sure he'll provide levels in the S&P. But what you do now, and I think Pete actually might agree with this, I think you wait for a day where the VIX trades north of 30, which, by the way, it probably should be already, but it's not, on a day where the market flushes in the beginning of the day on extreme volume, and then hope that's your capitulation. Quite frankly, we haven't really seen anything along those lines. It sort of looks like it. It might feel like it, but we haven't seen it. If you're looking for places where I think you can still be regardless, despite the fact that healthcare got a little whack today, I still think that big cap pharma is a place to be. I'm not saying you hide out there. We'll talk about that later. But I think on its own, names like Pfizer, names like Bristol Myers, which I think is about to bounce, Eli Lilly, I think they work. Uh, the fix is what? 26 Yeah, we got over today? 26 today. Yeah. yeah, and we did see a little bit of a spike. But to your point, it's not really quite enough. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe the expectations of guys like me sitting around waiting for that. And maybe it's waiting for Godot. Because maybe we're not going to get that. Maybe we don't get that bell that you normally get where you've got that huge flush on volume, as you mentioned, and the big spike in the VIX. Although we, we have seen more and more buyers of both VXX and the VIX itself looking for some sort of a spike at some point in time. So we'll see how that plays out, Mel. I think that some of the commentary about uncertainty about going forward for Mr. Powell, that's something I actually embrace that because what that's telling me is they really truly are trying to be on data, rates. Right. On uh, rates. Yeah. Trying not, to be data not on, dependent. Not on, the, not on the quantitative tightening. And right. That's Just what rates. got yeah. me concerned. And, and to Steve Leisman's point, that's the pushback that I heard when we started talking about it in October, that it was factored in. Everyone knew it was 50 billion. Everyone knew it was coming off the balance sheet. But the market doesn't know until the market knows. And 600 billion a year equates to 75 percent of the Fed's balance sheet from 2007. 
yeah. put it in it's put it in proportion. Right. And you said in October. I mean in October. Yeah, yeah. I mean the view well, is a little bit different now versus two or three months ago. It is. The, the view is dramatically different. <laughs> and I think that's what the market was why the market reacted it did. I mean, look at the news that we've had over the last several months, including and up to FedEx saying, you know what, the global market is the global economy is slowing. We have almost every single PMI in the world rolling over. You have inflation expectations diving to lows we haven't seen in a long time. You have a slowing global economy, and the Fed's out there saying, hey, the economy's strong. We, yeah, we've, we topped it back from three to two, but there was no acknowledgement whatsoever, and it seemed a bit tone deaf to me, that the economy has slowed. The global economy has slowed, and I think that's why no, but he the said market it about rolled rates. Over. He said there was flexibility on rates, but there's zero flexibility, and that's what spooked the market today. That, and he doesn't know where the signs of inflation are or why they've been they're low. not there. So there are two, there's two things why the market right. collapsed, those two things. Guy, what do you and in inflation, can't be careful what you wish for, because if we get inflation, it's going to come in a very it's meaningful scary that they way. They don't know where it is. Inflation is in all the wrong places. That's another conversation. It doesn't matter. I mean, we can't get wage inflation. That's what they're dying for. It's just not there. Have you been to a doctor recently? I mean, inflation in healthcare is pretty meaningful. Again, a much different conversation. And in terms of a balance sheet, Fed should never had a $5 trillion balance sheet in the first place. I mean, we can argue the reasons why it got there and the reasons why it stayed there. When it was five, four and a half, five trillion for an extended period of time, nobody seemed to care. Now we're starting to whittle it down correctly. There's a problem. And I've said this on air many times. It's easy to get into a trade. That's the easiest thing to do. Getting out is the hard part, and that's what Whittling they're trying to do Whittling down the balance now. sheet, though, is the equivalent of raising every meeting. So if sure. you raise, when you raise a quarter point and then you whittle down the balance sheet, you're raising by 50 bips. You're raising by a right. half a point. I mean, Steve Leesman said something before, and he said something to the effect of a dollar in stimulus doesn't have the same impact when you take that one dollar off. It has a much bigger impact when you're going in than when you take it off. Um, but in terms of the market reaction, did the markets overreact? today. Well, I mean, do you you're going to stir market- it up between the two of us yeah. because I already know the answer. I feel like, yes, the answer is yes. I think did think it was an overreaction because I thought that Chairman Powell handled himself very, very well. Obviously, the, uh, the initial reaction to the upside was just all based on exactly what they did. Then all of a sudden, the more questions that he answered, suddenly we just see this whoosh yeah. to the downside. And it just seems to me it's, again, one of these days, 600-point moves throughout the day when you look at the intraday moves. I think it's ridiculous, and I still think that's a combination of computers and a lot of other things, algorithms that kick in, that all are triggered by specific words that come into the market. Where, where do I start? I mean, uh, let's let's just take the computers this all, out of it. So was let's this take the computers. Computers work on the upside and the downside. That's the most ridiculous this, thing no, no, in no, the market. No, that's not, true. That, that's not true. That's not true. The magnitude true. of the move to the downside is far more exaggerated than the magnitude of the upside. If you take a look at the ups and the downs, you absolutely will see that prove that. Okay, but whether, is that computers or not? They work on both sides. It's not like all of a sudden quants go, hey, wait a second, today we're going to sell everything off. People, that's just more. It would be better people, if they did. It's just a word react on the triggers fear. on that stuff. That, people overreact on. So you're telling that me that word was. I mean, when I when I think about and I listened to this whole press. I mean, this press yeah. conference was fascinating. But was there anything in it that what what do you think triggered those? It was the question for to me. It was when they said that the economy is strong and that gradual increases are still warranted. That left me scratching my so head. It's, it's the dissonance between his view of the economy and the market's view of the economy. Well, and the concern and, that he will continue. And right. the market's wanting to be And the actual right. data points that show everything rolling over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What? <laughs> Did you think the market's overreacted today? 
overreacted? I mean, in terms of the, the magnitude of being up 250, 300 to being down 400, I mean, to me, that's an overreaction. And I, I know what BK is saying. I do think the moves are exacerbated on the downside by, by the machines. But quite frankly, the machines probably were, they were the reasons why we go up every day for the last eight or nine no years doubt. as well. So, I mean, again, a much different conversation. Markets can't overreact. They react. You see it, it is what it until is. you see, in my opinion, a 30 handle in the VIX, that, to me, is when you start getting into overreaction. How, how does the reaction that we saw today educate our trading? And, and I'm specifically thinking of the flattening that we saw on the yield curve shortly afterwards. Well, the, obviously, the flattening of the yield curve, people are worried about growth. People are worried about banks. When, bank, when the yield curve inverts, the economy stops. Now, I understand someone's going to say that it takes 18 months to two years. I don't, maybe, that, maybe that person rhymes with, with Oni Iyer. But, <laughs> but I get that. But the markets are forward-looking. Pete, we had Dick Vasilich on. Uh, formerly yes. at Wells Fargo on Powerwatch today, yep. and he was basically saying, "Oh, you know, the banks are, you know, concerned about globe, the global economy." He didn't mention the yield curve at all. No, he didn't. It, but he did talk about loan growth and that type of thing, and yeah. that being somewhat of an issue. I mean, he, he brought up a lot of different things, and he talked about the economy itself. It was interesting what he had to say because everybody, including me, is trying to figure out what will finally get the banks to actually react to the upside. And we haven't found it yet, Mel, despite the fact that we've seen some record numbers and earnings and rev- all these various things. Nothing's been able to push them higher. All right. Well, our next guest that rhymes with Oni Wire <laughs> says Powell got it wrong today. Let's bring him in. Tony Dwyer of Anacord Annuity. No, Canaccord Annuity. Um, We're now CGF. <laughs> so how did he get it wrong? Um, when I say they get it wrong, I don't take an academic view of something I learned in school. I look at what the credit markets acted like and the euro dollar mar- all the other various credit markets said, wow, that they could have been a lot more dovish. It, it, what I, my opinion is totally irrelevant. It's what, you know, what Grasso said. It's the, it's the market's opinion. And all the various credit metrics worsened as the press conference went on. So this is the whole reason we, we were on last week and we highlighted the two indicators we, you got to wait for to show you that the momentum of the market is actually bottomed because it, we're just in a violent market. And when you're in a violent market, you can't make a... Today, you want, truth be told, I'm surprised it wasn't worse. I think today is an example of how oversold the market is because the way the credit markets acted, I thought the market, the stock market would have been down a heck of a lot more and it actually didn't accelerate to the downside in the last half hour. It actually stabilized. So I was, maybe tomorrow it gets worse. I'm not sure. Um, The one thing I know is going back to Tony Iyer or whatever the heck we said earlier, um, you know, the yield curve is still positive, which means credit is, it's, it's, fro- it's kind of frozen up right now with the stock market and the way it's acting in the Fed meeting. But ultimately, once the stock market stabilizes, it should reopen. And I think it's really interesting. All you got to do is look back to 2016, Mel. The bank stocks were down exactly to the percentage on the BKX that were down today from peak. Right. If you look at the Russell 2000, same. Amazon, same. IBM, same. Citigroup, same. They're all, so this isn't unique. We want to make it unique, but it, it, it's not unique. And I was equally as wrong then, and people forgot that because we stayed bullish. What's your price target for the year, and, and are you going to change it? I mean, we were just talking with Jonathan Golub the other day at Credit Suisse, and he yeah. cut his price target because of the volatility we've seen in the past few I, weeks. I haven't... In October, what we did when you got that whoosh, we called it the shock drop, and then we went into the slot pop and drop retest thesis. We're in the the bottoming thesis. We still haven't come out of that, obviously. So we pushed out our target into next year. We're still at 3,200. I don't see any reason. 
my earnings estimate hasn't changed since the summertime. I see how people are moving around. I only expected 5% earnings growth next year on 162 in earnings this year. So where I got the multiple wrong was I thought everybody else figured the same thing. And because it was so apparent that you were getting this boost from, um, from the tax cuts. So it, to me, you're pushing out the upside until you well after you invert that yield curve. I, I, talked to, I have two sources that I use to tell me when credit's frozen. One of them is a bank CEO. I, I call it the fireside chats. I called them last week and I asked him, is your lending standards changing? He said, no, we can't lend enough. The issue in the marketplace is that shadow banking has taken over so much of the lending from traditional banking. There's so much money around being lent in shadow banking, they can't lend enough. That's not what happens when you freeze up an economy. So, Tony, let's talk about the yield curve, because you said it inverts and everything's fine, right? That has worked almost every time in the last 40 years, except for twice, which was in the 1980s, where the recession actually happened when the yield curve was inverted, not when it was re-steepening. That's the same time that we had a strong dollar, we had a tax cuts, we had a strong economy. So is it different this time? It, it was the 210 didn't invert prior to the yield uh, It did invert prior to the recession. I think it was eight months in 1973. That was the closest one. I think in the 80s it was 11 months. I got I got to check my numbers, but you have not inverted the yield curve after a recession has begun since the early 1950s. Now you could pick a different yield curve to make that work. I'm using the 210, and before the two uh, the two uh, came started trading in the 1970s. So I used the six month prior to that. Again. Maybe it's different this time with quantitative easing and the whole nine yards. For two times this cycle, in 2011 and 12, we were in a global recession on the European debt crisis. In 2015-16, the exact same amount we're down now, we were going to be in a global recession because of the commodity crisis. In both of those periods, your markets were worse than they are now, credit spreads were worse than they are now, and it wasn't. What's different this time is the Fed has raised rates significantly. That is meaningful. We are trending toward the end. As I've always said, this is going to end badly. Can't fix debt with excessive more debt. Right. Tony, thank you. Good to see you. Thank Tony you, Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity. It was the earnings call heard around the world. FedEx fueling fears about global growth. And a top technician will tell us the names that could be at risk next. Plus, red across the board on Wall Street today. So where do you hide out in a volatile market? The traders will weigh in. And later, from bad to worse... Facebook getting slammed again today, and tech guru Gene Munster will tell us just how bad it could get. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money in two minutes. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of FedEx getting slammed again today as global growth concerns weigh down the stock. It could get, uh, it could be just the first shoe to drop. Bob Bassani is at the New York Stock Exchange with more. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. It was not a good earnings report. It it wasn't just the fact that FedEx lowered its fiscal 2019 earnings guidance. It was the economic commentary. That's what got everybody's attention. The company said that while the U.S. economy was still strong, 
quote, global trade has slowed in recent months and leading indicators point to ongoing deceleration in global trade near term. It doesn't get more obvious than that. This is what the markets have been fearing, and FedEx now confirms. Predictably, transports led the decline today, especially FedEx. You know, it's down 30% for the month. It's a two-year low right now. Talk about oversold, along with UPS, other shippers, expediters, C.H. Robinson, for example. So nearly 40% of the revenues from the S&P 500 occur outside the United States. That's why we care about these global comments. Many of the companies with the greatest exposure are in the tech space. They include things like Qualcomm, Lamb Research, Jabil Circuit, Applied Materials. All these companies get the vast majority of their revenues overseas, not just 40%, the majority. All of them, of course, you saw trading down today, except for Jabil. Fed Chair Jay Powell said something similar in his press conference, acknowledging that while the U.S. economy was strong, but he took note of some troubling cross-currents in his words in the global economy that was likely one of the factors that caused the Fed to take a more dovish approach to rate hikes. But as we saw, the Fed was not as dovish as the markets wanted him to be. So where do we go from here? A lot of this selling is now technical. For example, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed at a new low for the year. That's below the March lows. At the same time as the Dow Transports also closed at a new low. This concerns those who follow Dow theory, which looks for one of the Dow indicators to confirm a trend in the other indicator. When both indicators hit new lows, it's considered a negative technical trend. Back to you, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. Our next guest has been cautious of the overall market, says there's two other names that could get hit by the global growth threat. Let's go off the charts with Chris Barone of Strategist Research Partners. He's at the Plasma. Hey, Chris. Hey, Melissa. How are you doing? But, you know, let's first let's start with uh, really where the weakness was today. This is FedEx down 12 percent on the day. But this was not a one day affair. This is a stock that peaked almost 12 months ago in January, failed to make a new high in June, failed again in September failed again just a few weeks ago. So this is a series of lower highs that finished itself uh, on the downside. The stock is now down 40% from the highs. Frankly, it's very reminiscent of the 40% decline that we saw in 2015 and 16. I suspect this 150-155 neighborhood is ultimately where this washes out. We did the most volume here today that we've done in 20 years. So certainly a cathartic moment Uh, we think in FedEx. So if the selling is close to done there, where is it not done? And a couple stocks we're frankly a little worried about here. This is Amazon. Really has not been able to bounce at all. We now have a trend problem with the 50 underneath the 200. If you take a long-term look at the chart since 2008, the uptrend intersects at about 1,300. The close below 15 was a big level today. We think ultimately 13 uh, is where this one goes. Microsoft, I think another example of a stock that we're just not as convinced that this is done on the downside. This has been the best stock in the best sector, in the best index. And ultimately, before the corrective phase is over, they get to all the good ones. We think Microsoft, you break 101, you're looking at 90 bucks here. What does it mean for the broader tape? Well, I think the good news is there are some early indications of maybe some tactical washout conditions. But the trouble is, a rally is just back to downward sloping moving averages. 2,700, I think, is a cap on any rally. Look for maybe 2,400, 2,450 to provide some near-term support. But there's still a lot of missing pieces if we're going to put in a good strategic durable bottom. We're just not there yet. All right, Chris, why don't you come on over? Shelby will bring the chair over. Thank you, in Shelby. In 2019, are we going to change back to having a, having a say in... Who's allowed to no. vote? No, she runs the show. She runs the show. I'm good with her running. The Not show. even Brand a cop. Um, okay. Run. Think of the head. Does 
Do you still believe in Dow transport theory, in, tra in the Dow theory? You know because what's interesting about Dow transportation theory? Um, actually, if you look at the broader industrial sector, it has a higher R-squared with the broader index than just the transport. So, so the correlation. Yes, for, the industrials okay. have a higher correlation <laughs> with the S&P 500 than just the transport. I think the correlation is about 0.85. So we've always said if the industrials are working, it's easy to be bullish. When the industrials oh. are not working, things are more challenging. And the industrials not working is nothing new. I mean, this has been a sector that has largely, as we all know, it's been off the playing field all year. So I think ultimately, if we're going to say the leadership conditions are taking shape for a good bottom or adorable advance, we're going to need to get those industrials back on the playing field. And they're not there. So, Chris, is it possible when I when I look at year to day performance, yeah. I know it's all through a different prison, but when you look at Amazon, that's still up. 30%, 27% year to date, and we're talking about this correction being over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that to me means there's a little more fat left to be cut with a lot of these favorite large cap tech names. I'm with you, and I think as we've all seen in this business, they hit the best stuff last, right? And, you know, up until today, the NASDAQ was still positive on the year, right? Amazon, we don't think it's finished on the downside. Microsoft, as we said earlier, it's been the best stock and the best index and the best sector and the best part of the world for years and years and years. I think that uh, those are the type of names that have to get hit harder before we can definitively say this is finished. And we're not there yet. And just quickly, there's a whole camp out there that says the you know, markets are, are oversold, they're oversold, they're oversold. So they're due for a bounce into year's end. Does that hold any water? Well, this is where yeah. I think we need to incorporate the trend work. Yeah, we probably are stressed on the downside, but we're rallying or we could rally into a weak trend, right? So uh, how do you okay. use those rallies? You use them to lighten exposure, to sell strength, to fade move. So I think that 2650, 2700 area where we kind of broke down from a couple weeks ago is going to prove to be very formidable resistance as we move into the first quarter of 2019. Chris, thank you. Good thank to you. see you. Good Chris Verone, Strategus. Would you Big fade fan. rallies at this point? That's been the right thing to do since October, and Steve's been pretty yeah. steadfast in that belief. So except for a couple of days, mm -hmm. every rally has been a selling opportunity. There have been a handful of days where that wasn't the case, but today's a great example of that. So in, t in my opinion, until you get a VIX with a 30 handle, that's what you got to do. All right. Stock's getting slammed after the Fed decision, but is Washington getting ready to deal another blow to stocks on a new front? That story's next. Plus, just when you thought it was safe to get back in, Facebook getting crushed and more privacy concerns. Tech guru Gene Munster will tell us how bad it could get. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what's next tonight. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
Big story of the day, the Federal Reserve keeping with the script and hiking rates stay by a quarter of a percent. As Chairman Jay Powell explained his decision, selling really picked up. Many FOMC participants had expected that economic conditions would likely call for about three more rate increases in 2019. We have brought that down a bit and now think it is more likely that the economy will grow in a way that will call for two interest rate increases over the course of next year. The runoff of the balance sheet has been smooth and has served its purpose and I, I, don't, I don't see us changing that. From this point forward, we're going to be letting the data uh, speak to us and inform uh, the outlook. Political considerations have played no role whatsoever in our discussions or decisions about monetary policy. Nothing will deter us from doing what we think is, is the right thing to do. There's, you know, a mood of concern or it's, it's a, a mood of angst about growth going forward, if I could just capture it in one thought. After the angst the market saw today, Washington may still have many more tricks in store for the markets in the days and weeks ahead. Let's get straight to Eamon Javers live at the White House for us. Eamon. Melissa, Washington always has tricks up its sleeve in terms of things that the market's not ex expecting. Uh, look, one of the things here could be uh, the breakup of this deal that seems to be coming together now uh, to avoid a government shutdown. The, the Senate is working on a continuing resolution that would keep the government funded through February 8th. It's not clear exactly uh, whether the president will sign that bill, though, if it gets to him. The uh, senior administration official I talked to today said, look, we'll, we'll take a look at that continuing resolution, send it up here, and, and we'll take a look at it, and we'll see what's in it. Not making any commitment that the president will sign the continuing resolution. So that's still an unknown. The other big unknown here is the Mueller investigation. We saw uh, dramatic headlines yesterday in the Michael Flynn sentencing hearing. Uh, some real surprises there. Uh, I don't think anyone can really predict where that's going. So I think Washington could surprise you on the Mueller front as well over the coming weeks. And then finally, trade. That was the thing that was driving the market uh, day in and day out for the past several weeks. I think that could come back to the fore here in Washington big time uh, in the coming weeks as we get closer to that 90-day deadline uh, from the administration's perspective to either get a deal with the Chinese or to reimpose some of these tariffs. So uh, a lot still pending here in Washington, even though we've moved past that Fed decision, Melissa. All right. Eamon, thank you so much. Eamon Javers at the White House for us. So with continued volatility potentially on the horizon, we want to talk about hideout mm. trades, right? Mm. Hideout. Hideout trades. How would you like define... Like going to the mattresses. That's Ooh. an Italian thing. Yes, exactly. You know that phrase? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you I did. said that really convincingly. You did. I, mean, actually, I was shocked that you okay. actually... No, it's from, it's, yeah, it's from it's the Godfather. It's from the Godfather, which I read. You had Mario Puzo's. So, I mean, yes. amazing They have a work. movie now. Really? Yeah, a couple of them. It's actually anyway. one of the situations where the movie is actually better than the book. But I think you're asking me where, yes, where hideout trade. I know Pete hates this term. I'm not a big fan of it either because, no. you know, you, there's no place to hide. But there are places that you can take advantage of the situation. You talked about volatility, uh, increased volatility. Who's going to benefit from that? Again, in my opinion, it's Chicago Mercantile Exchange. If you look, November volumes are up, I think, 21% or so year over year. December volumes are probably be better than that. Valuation, yeah, you could say it's stretched. It trades at a premium to the rest of the exchanges. In my opinion, it should. And in this environment, they should do extraordinarily well. Cash could be a yeah. hideout trade in this environment. Well, you know I, what? I go to you, oh, the yeah. only person who might say cash. You know what? You know what else is good? What is cash? But you get a little bit wait, of a dividend. Wait, wait. Oh, dividend. Okay, yeah. I thought you were going to say Bitcoin. No, well, no, Bitcoin. You <laughs> anyway. don't get a dividend. But anyway, <laughs> now you could, if you wanted some cash and you wanted to make that cash work for you. 
You buy some TLT. Mm. Why not? I mean, you're trading. It's trading. Uh, I know we had a big rally today, but 280-ish on the 10-year with a strong dollar going to look really attractive to overseas buyers who are still struggling with low rates, looking for some place to put that cash and have it working for you. So if you're looking for a place to hide out on these tough days, TLT's my, my, origi- my original choice was going to be cash, but it's a trading show. So most people, that's a little boring right. to go to cash. Smart if you went to cash at 29.40 in the S&P cash. Yeah. But right now, XLUs, utilities, still up over 6%. Jokey, 6% year to date. So if you look at that on a relative basis, you're going to outperform. On an absolute basis, it's been going down pretty much side by side with the overall market for the last couple of days. So you don't get the protection that you once did. But maybe a little bit, a little bit. But if this market goes, sorry to be long-winded, 23.75, nothing is going to be safe. Maybe a tent in the Adirondacks. That's okay, Pete just gets less time. <laughs> no, to I'll do a little bit less. I love, I love guys <laughs> call number one. Number two, I, I look at something like United Rentals. Okay. Great company, slowing really? economy. I mm. get it. But you know what? Look at the multiple that it's trading at right now. I still think. So hideout is just is hideout, value. I'm you. looking for value with mm. great fundamental stories, and they've got it. All right. We will have much more on the market sell-off later on in the show, including one trader's more than $20 million bet that the S&P 500 could sink into a bear market in the next two months. Plus, Facebook getting smacked today as a one-two punch of bad news sent shares into a freefall. Tech guru Gene Munster says it will only get worse. He will be here. Much more Fast Money on this very busy night. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tilray soaring after hours following an announcement that it will partner with Anheuser-Busch InBev to research cannabis drinks for the Canadian market. This follows yesterday's big deal with pharma giant Novartis. So what does this mean for the industry? So they are getting into CPG. We thought it was just pharma yesterday. So if you look at this, there's going to be every sector and space of the economy is going to be affected by this. And, and when you start to look at cosmetic companies, they, they're going to be the holdout as well. But we've seen beverage. We've seen pharma. We've seen everything. I think you've got to buy them all. But unfortunately, they're all kind of bloated right now on valuation. You can't even slap a valuation on any of these. So it might be a little tough road to hoe. But if you look at the chart, it's much lower than it was just a handful of months ago. How do you get a grip on valuation if you believe, if you really believe that it's going to disrupt every single industry right. out there and be part of this and be a whole new sector? That's, Why do you put it I mean, that's, that's how bubbles are formed, too. And I'm not saying we're in a bubble, but when you start saying you, you can't put a valuation metric on it because it is going to touch so many things. I don't know. The way I look at this industry, it is a secular growth trend. You want to buy the dips on this one, close your eyes, put them in a drawer. I would say this. It's really difficult, and it's a very difficult challenge right now because you've got the companies. Who do you buy? Do you buy the marijuana company? Or do you go to the other side who are trying to acquire assets, right? I mean, the Constellation brands, that has not worked. I, yeah. I can say firsthand, I own Constellation. That has not well, been working. it's a drop in the bucket. I mean, right? I mean, the impact on one of the big companies is a drop in the bucket compared yep. to the impact on the on the cannabis Absolutely. Company. But it's a piece that you'd think you'd want to have somewhere, somewhere. I think the tobacco companies, there's all kinds of different ways to play this right You know now. how many times it got into trouble with BK putting marijuana in the draw? No, I meant the stock certificates, not the marijuana. No, no, you keep that out. Sorry. You got a humidor or something, they tell me. Just say no. A humidor. Just say no. Just say no. Another day of terrible news for Facebook. Shares tanking 7% after the District of Columbia's attorney general sued the social media giant for allowing Cambridge Analytica to take data from users. This comes after a damning report in the New York Times this morning saying Facebook gave other tech companies access to the personal data of users without disclosing it. That includes 
allowing Netflix and Spotify, for instance, to read private Facebook messages and giving Amazon data as well. For more on what this latest scandal could mean for Facebook, let's bring in Loop Ventures founder and Fast Money friend, Gene Munster. Gene, great to speak with you. Um, I, I, get, I get that Facebook is caught up in this sort of vortex and, and one should be very careful about these headlines. Um, but at the same time, this really underscores from an investor standpoint that there are shoes to drop left and right when it comes to this stock. That's exactly right, Melissa. Our goal is really to try to fight through this noise and the easy thing to do is to be negative on Facebook. But the reality is there are some structural problems here and there's essentially three layers to them. The first layer is around this, uh, this compliance issue, the governance issue we're seeing with this District of uh, Columbia lawsuit, uh, potential more political win in terms of how they do business. The second issue is just the simple uh, erosion of faith that people have with, has Facebook done right for them in terms of their privacy data? And then this third wave, which really hasn't even started, which is, does Facebook and Instagram make the world a better place? Ultimately, most people uh, don't feel better about themselves after they use these networks because the comparison effect. And so I think that this, the best days of Facebook, unfortunately, are behind them. And I think we're going to start to see that in some of the user growth numbers in the months and quarters to come. So it is the season, Gene, and, and people like to make bold predictions at this time of year for, for the next year. Um, what would be your prediction for Facebook management? I mean, do, would you say that Sheryl Sandberg, for instance, is still the COO at the end of 2019? Do you think Mark Zuckerberg will still remain? And I get that he's controlling shareholder, et cetera, et cetera, but he could easily say, you know, I will be chairman or I will take some other position that affords um, there to be sort of a, a slate wiped, so to speak, when it comes to the scandal. Unlikely we're going to see executive level changes, especially at those two roles. I think that they are more demonized in these type of situations. I think they are what is best for the, the company. Uh, we are going to make some predictions, our 2019 predictions coming out on December 26th. So I want to be hold off on telling all the Aww. details, but I think there are some <laughs> things that are going to happen in Facebook in terms of their underlying business in 2019 that may surprise investors. Hey, Gene, this is Peter Jarian. Quick question for you about Facebook. You said it's a no-touch, basically, right? Here's the thing I'd like to bring up to you, though. March 2018 is when the headline started. Virtually every week since then, we've had a negative story headline about Facebook. If a quarter goes by without the negative headlines coming out, does it start to become a potential buy at that point? I think the bulls are definitely going to be there. I could see this stock moving higher based on what you described and uh, separately is I think that there's some untapped opportunities around WhatsApp, what they're doing in VR, also Instagram has room to grow. But to me, that's just trading around this. I think ultimately, as from an investing standpoint, is that there are some structural issues, some issues about how it impacts society that can uh, weigh on the story longer term. And so I would consider that uh, essentially a head fake if it did trade higher. Just one, one word from Eugene here, because we're out of time, but the, ch the changes to Facebook's business for the good, for the bad? Uh, they're for the good is a simple okay. word, but it's, too, uh, it's just too little too late. All right. Gene, thank you. And thanks for giving us a tease on your predictions. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Thank you. Um, we had Facebook yesterday, yes. and I handed it to you for This for is one of my trade. This is the only trade well, that like, I had. This is your very sort of, you know, 
for the short term, I'll yeah. do this, but longer. So you really <laughs> yeah, have this, this one I thought was a fade longer term, but I thought it was a trade it, shorter meaning term. buy it. Yeah. Shorter term based on the corporate repurchase that they announced. Right. And if you look back, I, I, someone's got to get me the exact date, but I still think it's probably right, uh, still above where they announced that corporate repurchase. So hopefully it holds that level check because I don't have the exact number. That will be your line in the sand when to bail again. But obviously the future for Facebook with privacy issues is not, to Pete's point, is not going away. It's pretty bold for Gene to come and, and give us this whole list of, of reasons why things are going against Facebook, structural problems, and to say that the best days are behind it. Hmm. Does that mean that the best days for the stock are behind it? I think it? the best growth days. Yeah. But I think, I think a lot of people would acknowledge the best growth days are behind it. But and I a lot think of companies in terms face of the, that at some point. In terms of all the businesses they've acquired and where they can go in the future, I think in terms of that, I think the best days lie ahead. I would take the other side of Steve. I think it's a short-term fade. I think 125, we talked about a couple weeks ago as a potential level. It's 131, 132 now. That's in the crosshairs. But longer term, I mean, if you have sort of the temerity to stay with this thing over the next couple months, which is going to be dicey, temerity. Yeah, that's like a that. bad that haiku word. I think the long term, listen. You, I don't think you'll ever see the growth that they once had, but I do think there are a number of businesses that are going to be huge drivers in the years to come. All right. Still ahead, stocks sinking deeper into a correction today after Fed Chair Jerome Powell hiked interest rates. And one trader made a massive bet the sell-off could turn into a bear market. We'll bring you the details. Plus, a chip miss massacre. Get that chip huh. miss Christmas. All right. Across the semi-spaces, Micron plunges after cutting its guidance. The CEO sitting down with CNBC's Jim Cramer moments ago. We will bring you those comments when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Micron sinking today, putting pressure on the rest of the chips after the company lowered guidance due to slowing demand. The CEO discussing the decline with CNBC's Jim Cramer moments ago. Give me a bull case which says that the stock may already be bottoming and pricing in a turn in the second half of 2019. So most important thing is that the end market demand drivers for memory and storage continue to be vibrant. Uh, our customers' demand is strong. Our customers' demand from us is impacted in fiscal second quarter because of the inventory buildup. Okay, and then yeah, supply cutbacks will kick in. Stock has gotten slashed in half from its May high, down more than 50%. What does this mean for the rest of the group in the market overall? Guy, I don't know what your take is on the CEO's commentary. I mean, the, the end demand for memory remains vibrant. It almost felt a little like... No, I don't know where that means. Vibrant is not the word I would have used. Maybe, maybe I'm not familiar with the <laughs> definition of vibrant. I went to that Webster's or Miriam or both yeah, of those guys and gals, sure. and it, maybe I just a little bit confused. What's going on. You know, Steve sort of boiled this down the last couple of weeks that, you know, you just DRAM, overlay DRAM prices with the stock, it makes a lot of sense. I made a mistake in May or March or April, May, when they announced a $10 billion stock buyback. I said, hmm, here's a $45 billion market cap company buying $10 billion worth of stock. They know that they are no longer a cyclical company, and they've made that transition. And that was right for a period of time. It's not right now. So what does it mean for the rest of the space? Well, Apple was actually positive at some point today. Boy, and I that thought that turned. was a great tell because of what Micron said about the smartphones. And then obviously that gave up the ghost. So I don't know what it means for the rest of the space per se. But, you know, if you're looking to buy Micron on valuation a couple weeks ago, it's actually gotten more expensive in some ways now. Uh. Somewhat counterintuitive. I, I just think SMH in general, the semi-ETF, is probably one you want to be out of. I mean, it's broken all types of support. We've seen weakness around the world. It's just it's a no touch or a short for me. All right. Still ahead. Twenty one million dollars. 
That is how much one trader bet the S&P 500 could enter a bear market in the next two months. We'll bring you all the details. We're live at the Nasdaq and Times Square. Much more fast. Still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks reeling today after the Federal Reserve hiked interest rates and one trader made a more than $20 million bet a bear market could be around the corner. Mike goes in San Francisco with the details. Mike. Hi there. So on a newsy day like today where the S&P moved 1.5% to the downside, it's probably not surprising that the Spider S&P 500 ETF saw well above average put volume. It traded about 3.3 million put contracts. That's versus the 2 million that it might trade on an average day lately. And where I saw some interesting activity was a big purchase of the February 240 puts. Somebody paid $5 for just under 42,000 of those. And that 20 plus million dollar premium spend might seem like a lot, but it happens to correspond to just about an even billion dollars notionally. So I think likely what's going on here is that somebody with at least a billion dollars worth of S&P 500 exposure concerned about further declines in the market, decided to spend a little bit over 2% of their total holdings to hedge against further declines. And in this case, that would represent a decline of another 6% from the already depressed levels that we've seen over the course of the last 30 days or so. Pete, how would you interpret that? I would say Mike's read is exactly right. Mike, that's fantastic because you're looking for protection of the downside. You get 2%. I mean, think about the cost relative to what you're protecting. It makes so much sense, and I agree with how your vision of this. It's not necessarily negative. This is protection being bought. Um, but, of course, the flip side is that you can keep buying protection and it can cost you a lot of money. Good. Yeah, you have to be a bit strategic yeah. with that, right? Any one of your hedges is going to be a drag. So it's a 2% drag on your portfolio. In this particular situation, though, if you want to protect, that's what you, you have to pay. It doesn't seem too terribly expensive. Yeah, Mike, in terms of the options action right after the Fed decision, I mean, did this happen right afterwards? And I'm wondering what sort of activity and flow did you see after the decision was released and, and during, the sta- during the press conference? Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. First of all, going into it, I think there were a lot of market participants. Pete probably saw this. We saw some speculative call buying. I think some people were looking for or maybe just hoping for uh, slightly more bullish activity and news coming out of this. Uh, But, you know, generally speaking, and it wasn't just an SPY. You know, we saw above average volumes in a lot of the broad sector ETFs. XLE comes immediately to mind, which was already trading at 52-week lows. People are buying protection because I think what they're saying to themselves is, you know, we have some bad news, FedEx, yesterday with respect to Europe and China. If that bleeds into the U.S. economy, if you hold a lot of equities and you want to get some protection, that's what I think they're looking for. Yeah. And the triple Qs is just one more to add to what Mike's talking about. But there was protection everywhere. XME, you're talking about metals. and There's every, every one of the major indices we were seeing that kind of protection being bought out there. All right. Mike, thank you for the action. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. And for more options action, you can check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trades. Go around the horn. Heat. I think these exchanges are the place to be. CBOE, baby. Brian Kelly. Well, a strong dollar is not going to be that great for the emerging markets. You sell EEM. Grasso. Well, let's stay consistent. I said XLU, the ETF utilities, so I'm going to stick with that. XLU, buyer beware. If the market goes down, this one is not bulletproof. It's a very important mad money coming up in, in a matter of 30 seconds. You got the Micron yes. guy on. Got the Micron. That's Micron. big. We saw snippets of that. Lily. Big. Eli Lily also. Lily? 
And this was this was a feisty show. Did it feel feisty to you? And no. the fact that you knew what going to the mattresses was tremendous. I read the book. Tremendous. Anyway. I'm with Pete, except that I'm in the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Right, right across the right street. Right across the street. Yeah. Comes right. out That's CME. That's See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, very big Madden Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.